Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the National CMD Foundation podcast. Super, super excited for today's conversation. So my name is Kalia. For any first time listeners, I'm the executive director of the National CMV Foundation. Congenital cytomegalovirus or CMV infection is arguably the most common preventable cause of neonatal disability here in the U.S., affecting more than 30,000 children per year. Our mission at the foundation is to prevent pregnancy loss, childhood death, and disability due to congenital CMV. We are super dedicated and passionate about educating women and families and people of childbearing age about congenital CMV. And we do this through several channels, but one of these spaces is this podcast that you're listening to today. And this, these podcast episodes really highlight advocacy, education, industry, um, and scientific advance, advances in the CMV space overall. We talk about a plethora of different topics, um, and today will be no different. And we do this in hopes of bringing congenital CMV to the forefront of the conversation. This podcast is proudly brought to you, brought to you by one of our key partners, Moderna. And today we have the privilege of having a great conversation as we are on the cusp of late onset hearing loss. So late onset hearing loss. And um, we have a super guest with us today. But before jumping into who our guest is, I would be Totally wrong not to introduce my great co-host today. That is Amanda Devereaux, the program director for the National CMV Foundation, who is key to all of our programming. We work very well together. So thank you, Amanda, for joining me today. Excited to be a part of this. Happy Late Onset Hearing Loss Awareness Week, Clea. Yes, thank you so much. I think that's what I was trying to say. I knew I was missing the A. So <laughs> thanks, Amanda, for that. Um, so we have a wonderful guest with us today, Tammy Hoffman. And so, Tammy, we'll just jump right on in. Um, if you would just share with our listeners a little bit about your CMV experience journey and its relationship to late onset hearing loss. Yeah, this is Tammy Hoffman. Thanks so much for letting me join you today. What a neat experience. Um so I am a mother to three children. I have a nine-year-old, a six-year-old who are of typical hearing and a three-year-old child with a profound hearing loss. Um, our journey kind of started when Ryder is his name. It was He was born in 2018. And I would say it was probably around eight or nine months. Um, he had been hospitalized for some respiratory viruses and had some ear infections that followed them. And um, I don't know. It was just like kind of mother instincts or something. I, I really wanted to push for an ENT appointment because I thought he might need tubes. And so we ended up uh, getting talking to our pediatrician about, about it. And he was very reluctant because uh, Ryder had only had two ear infections. Um, so we pushed pretty hard and he finally gave me the referral and so we go in about, I think at this point, he was around nine months old and uh, he failed his hearing screen right at the the first thing they do at the ENT visit. Um, again, it was, he probably has fluid still left over from that respiratory virus and um, they wanted to wait an additional six weeks and retest him again because they figured it was probably fluid related. So we waited another six weeks went back, had the same type of thing done. And I mean, bless an audiologist's heart in there. She 
she even tried the machine on her own ears and went and got a different machine and was really trying everything to um, get him to help him pass that hearing screen. And so then that led us down another path of the sedated, a sedated ABR, the auditory brainstem response, um, which concluded that he had um, bilateral sensorineural hearing loss. And that was just after his first birthday when we finally got that in. Um, so we didn't learn of Ryder's hearing loss until after he was um, a year old. And when we ended up um, going back to, we went to a different pediatrician and he talked to him about his hearing loss. And he said, has he ever been tested for CMV? And I think the most common question these days is, what is CMV, but hopefully we're bridging that, that gap too. Um, but we didn't know, we didn't know what, what congenital CMV was. And so that led us down, um, a whole new story is we ended up going to the university of Iowa and had a neurologist met with a neurologist who, um, found little white matters on his brain after an MRI scan that was consistent with a virus. So they, they sent his birth blood spot in and after probably, I bet we waited for two or three months, um, confirmed that he was born with um, congenital cytomegalovirus. So we knew that the hearing loss at that point was due to his um, CMV diagnosis. So to clarify for our audience, this, this would be a case of late onset hearing loss because it was identified after birth, but before kindergarten. So I know, and, and I know Tabby, full disclosure, so um, so I know a little bit about Ryder's story, and I know you have had concerns, actually, even kind of since he was born, that maybe he didn't really <laughs> pass that newborn hearing screening, but yes. um, but either way, the, the hearing loss was not confirmed until, until later. And so I'm wondering, just um, before we get into kind of what, what this really means for your life and your family... Um, where you think that the missed opportunities were and maybe what you think could be done differently or should be done differently um, and, and how maybe that might have changed your story a little. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, you know, I, I kind of started that story from eight to nine months old because that's where it felt like it started for us. Um, but, you know, knowing what we know now, um, Ryder did, he did refer on both sides on his newborn hearing screen. And, you know, it just, hearing loss was not on my radar. Um, as a mom with two kiddos that had typical hearing, um, when the nurse said, oh, it's probably fluid, I, you know, I really didn't think twice about it. Um, but so he did, he did refer on both sides on his first screen. And the nurse took him back probably an hour later and said, you know, he still must have some fluid in there because he did refer on both sides again. So we'll try it again in the morning. And so on the morning of our discharge day, she, you know, took it, took his little card out and wheeled him out and then came in, came back in and said, he passed. And, you know, we kind of were like, whoo, you know, and yay, we celebrated a little bit and felt, felt such a relief that he had passed. And, and honestly, from that moment on, I, I didn't give it another thought. Um, it, you know, it wasn't until we started questioning the, the hearing loss at, at nine months old, or, or I guess it was more, you know, it was probably about nine months old when we were, we were worried that it, he might have hearing loss, um, that I thought about that again and thought 
he did refer on both sides on at birth. Um, and so, I mean, when I thinking about it all now, like if I would have known what CMV was at the day he was born, I think, you know, I want to think that I would have thought that, right. Like, or at least gone back at a month old um, and get tested for test his hearing again so that we could have had an earlier intervention. I mean, he could have had a hearing aid at, at a month or at two months old um, had we kind of kept on that. But, you know, not due to not knowing that he wasn't aided until he was 13 months old. And of course, you know, with CMV and, you know, I don't know if he would have been a candidate for the antivirals or not, but, you know, we missed that window. We definitely missed that window um, without, with not knowing until he was over a year old. So I think, you know, those are definitely things that looking back, I, I wish I would have known or I wish I would have advocated for at that point in time. No, that is like truly heartbreaking to hear. And I think it's the story of, unfortunately, um, you know, more than one family, obviously. And we wanted to spend some time also chatting about now air culture, new normal. You said something pivotal a while back, and that was that, you know, having two typical hearing kids, late onset hearing loss, hearing loss in general was not on your radar. So now that writer's here and it's a gift and a blessing and it is on your radar, what is a typical day look like in your life with caring for writer? I mean, it is, it's changed our whole life. It really has. I mean, our entire family, um, we, you know, we, we do things differently and we, you know, we think about writer speech and language development every single day. Um, you know, my, my older girls now are, they're nine and six and, and they have taken such a supportive role um, they they know the importance of of getting writer immersed in language, and you know the, the typical days generally are are talking. We talk a lot because we want writer to have access to all the words we can possibly give him. So, I mean, it it can be like, oh, you want a glass of milk? Well, let me open the fridge. Let's get the milk out. Oh, give me your cup. We got to put the lid on your cup. I mean, so it sounds simple enough, but we go to bed exhausted because we have to talk with him quite a bit. Um, so that that's kind of a typical day. We, we do do speech therapy um, twice a week. And then he also sees a teacher of the deaf um, once a week as well. Our, we drive an hour and 45 minutes one way so that we can get specific auditory verbal therapy for Ryder, which is the the therapy, <clears throat> excuse me, the therapy that is um, uh, the best kind of therapy, I guess, when you're ha- you want a speech, a language, sorry, a speech and language development and a, or a listening and spoken language. And um, so we do, we drive an hour and 45 minutes one way. So it takes a whole day because he has an hour long therapy and then the drive home. And when I pick the girls up from school, they'll be like, how was therapy today? And they'll ask what we worked on and, and then they, they do, they work with him on it because they, um, they see his progress just by, um, learning and listening from them too. And, and they, they love it. They love it when they're the one that can get him to do something for the first time. So they take such pride in, in being such a support system for him too. 
So it, you know, it's truly a family affair. My, my parents, his grandma and grandpa go with to most of his therapy sessions too. So it's been an educational um, thing for them to, to learn about the deaf and hard of hearing world and, and to learn about um, everything that goes into uh, developing that listening and spoken language and that it's, it's not an easy task and he is going to, you know, have trouble um, understanding for the majority of his life. Um, so it's been, it has been a journey for us all and um, we've learned a lot. Yeah, a journey indeed, but I love hearing how supportive his sisters are. Like that just warms my heart. I'm, I'd love to see just how supportive yeah, absolutely. Definitely. It's a whole family affair, isn't it, Tammy? So I, I can definitely understand that. I'm wondering what were some of the signs that you noticed? I know you said that he had been having ear infections and things like that. Were there any other things that you noticed before, you know, before about that nine month mark that made you think, I wonder if he's hearing everything that in his environment? Honestly, the hearing loss was, was never something I suspected. Um, I just, he tugged at his ears a lot and I, I constantly thought he must have another ear infection, but I could, you know, sometimes I'd take him in and they'd be like, his ears look great. Um, but he also did this like, and I don't, I'm not necessarily saying this is like a symptom or, or a something to look for, but he always would, he'd bang his head like with his fit, um, with like an open hand, almost like he was like popping his ears. If you can kind of visualize that, like, um, he did that frequently. And so again, I just, I chalked it up to like, he must, you know, it must sound funny and he must be having ear infections. Um, so I just, I constantly thought he had something going on with his ears um, and, you know, and probably one of the hard, when I look back, one of the things that is probably the most frustrating is that when I talk to the pediatrician about it and, he, you know, it's so downplayed, um, you know, he hasn't had enough ear infections. He doesn't need to go to the ENT. Um, and it honestly wasn't until I, I took him to get his ears checked and he said his ears looked great. And I said, I still want a referral to an ENT. And he said, you know, maybe after another ear infection, I'll do the referral to an ENT. And he like looked at his ears again and he kind of like scraped his ear canal or something. And like Ryder started screaming and was just absolutely ballistic. And, and I was like, I, something's going on with his ears. Like, and he finally, you know, that's when he gave me the referral. Like I really had to push for it. And, you know, I think back on that and I think, gosh, what if I would have just rolled with that, you know, and when would I have figured out that he wasn't hearing? Because, you know, what would he have been three and and still not talking that I still didn't know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that parent advocacy and just going with your maternal or paternal instincts, I think, is just so critical. Oh, yeah. The mama instinct, right? That that has helped many a family and many a kiddo in, in a lot of these situations. It's something unspoken and we have to really, you know, sometimes push hard to get, to get what, what we need for our kids. Absolutely. You said a lot and you mentioned, had you not pushed, um, you know, when would you have found out? 
those are really key questions for folks to think about and think through. And so then my question for you is what advice would you give to other families trying to navigate the onset hearing loss space? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of going back to like, go with your gut. I mean, if, if something feels off to you, like go, go with your gut on it. Um, and it's okay to go to a different pediatrician or it's okay to go see a different ENT or, I mean, get multiple opinions and educate yourself so that, um, you're going into those appointments knowledgeable. I mean, I think right off the bat, when we had our first uh, sedated ABR, the auditory brainstem response, I had no idea, like, what, when they told us the results of that, like, I had absolutely no idea what they were saying. I mean, they started talking about auditory neuropathy and um, all all kinds of words that I, I just had never heard of. So I think, you know, reading a lot even before those things take place is is helpful so that you're going in feeling just a little bit more knowledgeable about about what they might say to you too um and I think another piece of advice that I wish I would have had is is the guilt especially with that late onset is you know even though I in writer's situation I still feel like we caught it pretty early like but we could have caught it at birth And, you know, we could have had an early intervention or, you know, the opportunity of the antivirals. Um, And so, you know, you sit, you sit with some guilt and obviously there's um, nothing that, nothing I can do about it now. Right. But in hindsight, like that's what you kind of live with. And I guess advice to parents on that is, is don't do that to yourself because, um, is all you can do is move forward from here. And even though I, it's not my fault and it's not something that um, I can change to change about it, change about the past. Um, it just does nothing to, to hold on to that guilt. So I would definitely encourage parents to, to try to move past that and, and not hold that in. Oh, that is great, great advice. Um, and in addition to that advice, do you have any go-to resources? Certainly other parents. I mean, there's there's no one you can relate better to than other other parents that have walked it, walked that same path. And um, that's first and foremost the best. I mean, when you can sit down with a mama that that understands exactly what you've what you're going through, um, it's just the second to none there. Um, but also there's, there's lots of good professional resources. I know like hands and voices. Um, we have a, an ask resource center here that really helped with the IEP planning and, um, making sure that I had asked all the right questions with that and had the resources I needed walking into that meeting. Um, AG Bell, the, the Eddie program, the early hearing detection intervention, the, of course, the national CMV foundation, um, it's oodles of, of good information there. And, and also, of course, your, your local area agencies of, or education agencies too, um, and getting that early access if that's the, um, if that's the age range that you're in. Thank you so much, Tammy, for sharing your experience. I know that, like you said, this isn't something that's really on parents' radars. And a lot of times parents think if my kiddo passes their hearing screening at birth, we're in the clear, but unfortunately that's not really the case. 
especially with kiddos with CMB. So thanks so much for sharing your story. I know that it will help others um, who, who don't know about this or who maybe are dealing with something similar. So thank you so much. Yeah, Tammy, thank you so much for your time sharing your family story with us. We really appreciate this. Um, and to all our listeners, you can certainly stay abreast of National CMB Foundation articles, podcast episodes, research updates, programming on our website, nationalcmb.org. And until our next podcast episode, remember to inform, engage, and advocate.